difference. Luke 22, let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Luke 22, and we'll begin in verse 31. We'll re- we-, we will read responsively down through verse number 34. I'll begin in 31. We'll begin together in verse 32 and continue that pattern down through 34. The Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Together, 32. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. We're looking at uh, the pattern of love. Jesus Christ is our pattern on how to love. And the title of the sermon today is this, Christ loved his fellow man, Christ loved the brethren. The brethren. Who are the brethren? Well, the brethren are other people who have had their sins covered by the blood. Amen? Other people who have been saved. And we're called to love the brethren. You know, some brethren are pretty easy to love. Other brethren aren't so easy to love. But we're called to love them all. And so we're going to look at that topic this morning. Let's pray. Lord, uh, my prayer today first is that if there's someone here who is on the outside of your family looking in, they've not yet put their faith and trust in you that they would do that today. Lord, help them to get that issue settled once and for all. And then, Lord, for those of us who are here that are saved, some of us don't love the brethren because we're just not involved enough in this church. And we're too busy living life, and we're not as engaged as we ought to be. And then, Lord, other people don't love the brethren because their feelings are hurt, or there's an issue or an offense or a struggle. And, Lord, they've put a wall up around their heart. And, Lord, they're just not loving others the way they ought to. But, Lord, whatever it would be, however it would be, Spirit of God, we pray you would move in each one's heart and speak to each individual here. And, Lord, help us to leave here challenged to better love the brethren the way that you did, to follow your example and your pattern. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, back in uh, the beginning of the year, we uh, looked at our second series uh, of Love Works. We looked at the people... I love. And we went through the scriptures and we saw everyone in the Bible, every group of people in the Bible that God has commanded you and I to love. Who are we supposed to love? And we looked at four different groups of people. We said uh, that we are to love our fellow man. And we broke that out into uh, we're to love our neighbor. We're to love those who are broken. And we looked at that we're to love the brethren. And then we moved on from loving our fellow man and we said that God has commanded us to love the Heavenly Father. He's commanded us to love Him. Next week we'll be looking at how Christ loved His Heavenly Father. And uh, then we looked at how uh, we are commanded to love our family. I'm talking about our blood relatives, our mother, our father, our husband, our wife, our son, our daughter. And then we finished out by looking at how God has commanded us to love our foe or our enemy. So our fellow man, our father, our family, and our foe. And we turn our attention this morning on how we are to love the brethren. How do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ? We love them the way that Christ Love them the way that Christ loved them. How do you become 
a child of God, again, by being born again, by being made into a new creation, by believing that Jesus is the giver of eternal life, and by placing your full faith in Him and Him alone. Once you do that, you become adopted into the family of God. He becomes your Abba or Heavenly Father, uh, your Daddy, and everyone else who's made that same decision becomes your brother and your sister in Christ. If you're here today and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am your brother, and you are my brother or my sister. Uh, Jesus Christ chose out, while He walked this earth, twelve disciples that He earnestly poured Himself into. He loved these men. He prepared them for spiritual battle. These men that Jesus poured Himself into, these men were His brethren. For three and a half years, they slept near each other. For three and a half years, they ate together. They walked the same dusty roads together. They prayed together. They laughed and cried together. They did the work of the Heavenly Father together. They were brothers. They were brothers. Now, Jesus was the Master. He was the leader. He was the God-man. But they were brothers. You know, over and over and over again in the Bible, we are commanded to love the brethren. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 words it this way. Peter says in his epistle, "...seeing ye have purified your souls..." and obeying the truth through the Holy Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Listen, he says, See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. And then two chapters later, Peter would say in chapter 3 and verse 8, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, our theme verses for 2020. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Over the last two sermons in this series, we have seen how Christ is our example. We have seen how He is our pattern when it comes to loving our fellow man. This morning we turn our attention on loving our siblings in Christ. Now, you know, it is easy to love someone who treats you the way you expect them to treat you. Isn't it true that we all put expectations on others? Isn't that true? I have an expectation on how I expect my wife to treat me and uh, how I expect uh, you all to treat me. And you all have an expectation on how you expect me to treat you. We all put expectations on everyone we meet. If you don't believe me, then try going to the store and having a complete stranger walk up to you and just start cussing you out out of nowhere. You know why that's going to bother you? Because you have an expectation that complete strangers are not supposed to treat you that way. And if we put expectations on complete strangers, then surely we put expectations on everyone. And you know what happens is when someone who is saved treats us in a way that we don't think is fair, then all of a sudden we are tempted to do the opposite of loving them. How many of you here have ever had someone who claimed to be saved mistreat you? Would you raise your hand? Be honest this morning. Participate. All right, the rest of you haven't been saved very long. Or you're just not paying attention. 
we've all had someone not meet our expectations. Again, listen, it is easy to love your brother or sister in Christ when they do exactly what you expect. It is not so easy to love your brother or sister in Christ when they don't meet your expectations. Now, such a case happened between Jesus and Peter. Peter did not meet the expectation of Jesus. How did Jesus handle his brother that hurt him? Look at Luke 22, verse 31 again. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, speaking about Peter, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fell not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he, Jesus, said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock, or the rooster, shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You know what Jesus knew about Peter? Jesus knew that Peter was going to stab him in the back. Jesus knew that Peter was going to let him down. And you know what Jesus said? He said, Peter, I already know you're going to do it. I'm not bitter at you. I have prayed that after you fall, you get back up and dust yourself off. Look down at verse 54. Amen. Look down at verse 54. Speaking of Jesus, the Bible says, Then took they him, Jesus, and led him, and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. Notice here that Peter's direction was right, but his distance was wrong. He was going the right direction, but he was not right by the side of the Savior. Now hold on, Peter. Just 20 verses earlier in this chapter, you claimed that you would go to prison with Jesus and you would die with Jesus. But now that push has come to shove and your Savior's been arrested, you're walking afar off. Look at, look, look at, that, look at verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid, just a little girl, beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man, talking about Peter, was also with him. Peter's heart began to beat real fast and he began to feel uncomfortable about the environment he was in and the fact that Jesus was being tried just in the next room. Verse 57, And Peter denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. Is Peter meeting Jesus' expectation? I'd say not. Verse 58, And after a little while another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, This fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Now, verse 60 is going to tell us that he denied Jesus, but another account of this in a different gospel would tell us that this third time, Peter would actually start to cuss in order to show that he did not know Jesus. His sailor language began to come out. Look at verse 60. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock or the rooster crew. Now, before we read verse 61, I want you to get this image. 
Peter is just outside of the room where Jesus is being tried. They've put a bag over Jesus' face. They've punched him. They've pulled the beard hairs out of his face. They've spit in his face. They falsely accused him. A raucous, ravenous uh, a crowd of people that hated Jesus is having their way with him. They probably have Jesus handcuffed in some format. And here they come escorting Jesus out of the room just as Peter is uttering this third denial, the cock or a rooster crows, and Jesus, as he's walking out of the room, turns and makes eye contact with Peter. Look at verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know what Peter had done? He had betrayed his brother. The Lord had spent three and a half years preparing Peter for spiritual battle. And he stabbed his brother in the back. Enemy fire. Now throughout the sermon this morning, we will see just how it is God has commanded us to love the brethren. Whether they stab us in the back or whether they're really sweet and kind and loving to us. We're called to love all of them. Those who are easy to love and those who are not so easy to love, we're called to love them all. I have three main points and then three sub-points beneath each point. And if you received a bulletin this morning on your way in, you can fill in the outline as we go along here. The, the outline will be up on the screen, the screen over here. All right, let's look at the first point today and notice the word friction. Friction, all right? Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 7 says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Um, Jesus said, offenses must come. Offenses must come. Oftentimes we put unrealistic expectations on people. We hold people to a standard of behavior because they are saved we expect that since this person, this brother or sister, uh, claims to be a Christian, then somehow that means they should live up to a certain level. The truth is, listen here, the truth is that in any healthy church, you're going to have diversity. What do I mean by diversity? Yes, I mean young and old. A healthy church has old people and young people. I believe a healthy church in a metropolitan area like this has people of all sorts of races and, and backgrounds and nationalities, and boy, we have that here. Uh, a church like this also, though, watch this, is diverse in that you have mature Christians and you have babes in Christ or immature Christians. And then you have everything in between. You have people who are really mature in the Lord, and you have people who are very immature in the Lord. And then watch this. You have people who are immature in the Lord, who are growing toward being mature, and you have people who are mature in the Lord, who are backsliding toward being immature. And every healthy church I've been in has folks moving in all kinds of directions when it comes to spiritual growth. Now, if you know anything about science, some of you go, oh no, I'm having flashbacks to my days in science class. Stop it, Pastor, it's a nightmare, right? I'm not going to give you a quiz or a test, but you know from science class that movement brings about friction. Friction. And you know what you're going to have at church? You're going to have friction. It just comes with the territory. Now, if you want to go to a church that's dying and not growing, 
where they never try to reach anyone for Christ, and they never try to uh, uh, try something new or do something exciting, and it's just us four no more, and we're just holding on till Jesus comes, then there won't be any much friction there. But in a church that's trying to reach the community with the gospel, I guarantee you there's going to be friction. In fact, I've been a part of many growing churches, and in every church there's been friction. There's been friction. The Bible says that offenses are going to come. And when those offenses come, boy, a mature Christian knows exactly how to handle them. Notice letter A, conflicts over personality. Take your Bibles over to Acts chapter 15. Hold your place there in Luke. Turn over to Acts chapter 15. In fact, I would just recommend you put a marker in Luke. We're going to come back to that at the end of the message. I think one other time in the middle of the message, but mainly at the end of the message. Acts chapter 15. Now, I look throughout the Gospels to find instances of personality conflicts amongst the disciples. And I did find a few, but none that uh, served as a stark contrast to uh, Acts chapter 15. All right, Everyone knows who the Apostle Paul is. The Apostle Paul, many people have put him up on this super high platform of being a super duper Christian. And you know what? Paul was a really good Christian. But Paul was not perfect. Paul was not perfect. And if you study the life of Paul, you can see that Paul had some character flaws. And here's one case where Paul didn't handle something just right. But you know what no one does? No one looks at this and throws shade at Paul. Everyone, you know, says, okay, you know what? We can gloss over that. We can cut him some slack. And then everyone knows who Barnabas is. Barnabas uh, uh, was given that name. Barnabas means son of consolation or son of encouragement. And uh, Barnabas was a good man who uh, sold his properties and gave the wealth to the church to help the poor. And so Paul is a good Christian and Barnabas is a good Christian. And the two of them were partnered together and they went out all over Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. And they started churches all over the place. And they had a young man who went with them named John Mark. And halfway through their missionary journey, John Mark quit and went home. Well, now Paul and Barnabas have made it the home base. And they're going to go back out and check up on the churches they started. And they're going to have a sharp personality conflict over what to do with John Mark. Look at verse 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from from Pamphylia. So he quit and went home halfway through last time, and went not with them to the work. And the contention, look at the personality conflict here. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark... He took his ball and went home, right? He took Mark and sailed into Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So they have this big personality clash. Paul is rough and gruff, and he, he's a, uh, uh, he's, he, he doesn't really show any grace or have any slack in this area. And Barnabas is more, hey, let's give him a second chance. And they have a big fight about it, and Paul takes Silas and goes his way, and Barnabas takes John Mark and goes his way. And there is a contention there. You know, um, there are going to be cases in a church where folks mix like oil and water. You ever put oil and water in a, in a gallon jug and shook it real hard? They don't mix real well, do they? They might mix for a moment, but then the oil always rises up above the uh, water there and they separate. 
Sometimes, and I think this is a better analogy, people mix like a cat and a dog. You ever had someone in your life, I mean, and maybe they were even a Christian, you ever had someone in your life, no matter how hard you tried, you just could not get along with them? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Hold them up for a minute. Okay, hold them up, hold them up, all right? Some of you are sitting next to the person, all right? Christmas Day last year, we, we gave Matthew and April a puppy named Ginger. Ginger has been a, a true joy in our life. And uh, Ginger was just, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks old when we got her. And um, I went and picked her up on Christmas Eve and, and, and got her into place. And the kids woke up Christmas morning and they opened all their gifts. And I went downstairs and I got Ginger out of the kennel and I brought her upstairs and I let her go. And um, uh, Matthew and April were just dying for a puppy, you know, at nine, ten years old at the time, just dying for a puppy. And they saw that dog, and it was the best Christmas moment I think we've had as a family as far as gift giving. Um, but then something funny happened. You see, we have a cat that lives in our home, and our cat's name is, I have to pronounce this properly, I was told by my family I'm not allowed to mess this up, Okay. Our cat's name is Alfonso. Did I get that right? Alfonso. All right, that's the Spanish pronunciation. I call him Alfonso, and it just bothers everybody, all right? Uh, I use my English um, American language there. For the sake of the illustration, Alfonso is a male cat, and Ginger is a female dog. I'm just going to refer to Alfonso as the cat, okay? And so we let uh, the dog go, Ginger go, and she greeted the kids and jumped up and down, and then she spotted the cat. And she cared nothing about the kids. And boy, a brawl in the hallway broke out on Christmas morning between that dog and that cat. That cat wasn't having anything to do with it. And you know, now they've lived together for 10, 11 months. And they know how to tolerate each other, but they still don't like each other. In fact, Ginger thinks that she's playing with the cat. And the cat wants nothing to do with it. And so the cat will sit on the back of the couch in the same place the cat has sat for years. And Ginger decides she wants that spot on the back of the couch. Kind of like when someone takes your pew at church. <laughs> and so Ginger gets up on the, uh, in the seat and she gets about six inches from Alfonso's face and just stares. And, uh, and the cat begins to hiss. And then the cat takes its declawed paw, thank God it's declawed, and begins to smack Ginger in the face. There's a scene in the movie Night at the Museum where the uh, monkey is slapping, right? There's this going on. And I wish, I wish I could get them to slap each other in unison. But there's that going on. And then Ginger, after she's been slapped a couple times, she's gotten where she's quite a bit bigger than the cat. Um, she takes her paw and pushes the cat off the couch. And the cat, you know, and, 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 and Ginger climbs up on the back of the chair and just looks down at the cat. And inwardly, the, the, the Ginger is just laughing. And the cat goes off and finds its other area. You know, um, uh, it's very rare to see the two of them sitting on the same uh, couch together. It's very rare to see the two of them cooperating with each other. I have found, please listen to me here, I have found in my church life that there are personalities out there that no matter how hard I tried to get along with someone, 
It was a cat and dog relationship. You all okay this morning? There are times where there are people that I just can't, no matter how hard I try, I just cannot get along with them. We, uh, we served in a ministry right out of college. We got married, and I was, um, uh, I was asked to, to be a part of the Easter drama, play a main role in the church's Easter drama. And there was a, a young lady in the church, I'll call her Ashley, because her name is Ashley. Um, and we got along for the first little bit of the practice, and about halfway through, we had a cat and dog fight. It was ugly. And then I was the school's athletic director, and she was the girl's basketball coach and volleyball coach, and we just did not get along. And I remember one day, we were sitting at the lunch table, the staff sat at their own lunch table, and we just about had a food fight in front of all the students. She just about picked up a handful of mashed potatoes and threw them in my face. And I wasn't trying to be mean to Ashley, and I don't think Ashley was trying to be mean to me. It just wasn't going to work. It just wasn't going to work. And you know, if you go to church long enough, you're going to find the cat to your dog or the dog to your cat. I guarantee you. What do you do when you go to church with someone and you have a conflict and it's over personality? You know, I've been there in life where someone holds their mouth a certain way. And I'm like, ah! Stop holding your mouth like that! How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay? What do you do? Well, ideally, you're kind to each other. You can say hello and smile when you walk past each other. But you probably should sit in another part of the auditorium than them. You probably shouldn't serve in the same ministry. Why don't Baptist Church is big enough where we can coexist? Amen? We don't need to up and leave, but we can be Christians. Conflicts over personality. Notice next, conflicts over philosophy. Conflicts over philosophy. Uh, take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 16 and verse number uh, uh, 21. Verse number 21. Matthew 16 and verse number 21. I know uh, uh, it's already 12 o'clock. My goal is to get us out here or at least be done with the message by 12.15. So uh, 15 minutes here. Hang in here with me. Matthew 16, 21. Back up with me if you would to verse number 13 so we get the idea here. Now, uh, Jesus and Peter are going to have a, a separate falling out here. And Jesus is going to go from praising Peter to absolutely slamming Peter over philosophy. Look at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked uh, his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh Flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, in verse 17, uh, Jesus praises Peter and says, The Lord has showed you who I am. But just a few verses later, the Lord is going to call Peter some choice words. Look at verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and uh, chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him. He takes Jesus off to the side. And Peter began to rebuke Jesus. Not a good move, Peter. Saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You're not going to die. But Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan! 
Woo! How would you love Jesus to put his finger in his face and call you the devil? Boy, just a few verses earlier, uh, he says, uh, Peter, the Lord's revealed that to you, and then here he calls him the devil. You know why? There's a conflict over philosophy. The Bible says an aim is can two walk together except they be agreed. Sometimes it's right to switch churches because you cannot agree with the doctrine of a particular church. And uh, listen, don't you dare allow a conflict over doctrinal philosophy to cause a division in a church. Don't you allow that to sow discord in the church. The truth is, not a single one of you agree with everything that I say all the time. But you know what hurts the church? Is when you get up and you go forth and you talk about and point out and nitpick disagreements. That doesn't please the Lord. Hey, if it's ancillary and it's on the edge and it's not a big deal, sometimes it's just best to let it go. You sit in a life group and you hear a teacher get up and teach something and you disagree with it, don't you cause problems over that. You either go to that person in private and have that conversation with him, but don't you dare go around and sow discord over that. Friction, conflicts over personality, conflicts over philosophy. Notice letter C, conflicts over pride. Conflicts over pride. Mark chapter 10 Verse 35 through 41, for sake of time, we're not going to read it, but Mark 10, 35 through 41, we find James and John, uh, their brothers, they go to Jesus in private and they say, have us sit on your left hand and on your right hand in the kingdom. And they do this behind the disciples' back. You know what the disciples, they find out about it? And verse 41 tells us that the ten were angry at James and John. You know why? There was some jockeying for position going on. I want to be better than you, and I want to be better than you. Now, I just want to add this right here. The lion's share of the time that I have not gotten along with a sibling in Christ, listen now, it's been because, at least in part, I have had a pride problem. Generally, when two people can't get along, generally, generally, not in every case, Generally, when two people can't get along, it's because both of them are filled with pride. Now, let me just also add this here. It is very immature to put your nose in someone else's friction. You listening? The Bible says in Proverbs that to put your nose... And someone else's business is like grabbing a dog by the ears. The truth is, somewhere along the line, you are going to have a rub with someone else. Do you want everyone else talking about your rub? Or do you want them to get on your knees and pray for you? How many vote for pray for me? Keep them up. I'm smiling then can't you do the same for someone else? You know, the Bible says love covereth a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean we sweep things under a rug that are immoral. But when we see a cat and dog relationship in a church, or we suspect a difference in philosophy or conflict over pride, whatever the conflict is, we should get on our knees and pray. And if it isn't our business, we should leave it alone. Raise your hand if you agree with that. Raise your hand if you think you can live it. Amen. Friction. Number two, forbearance. Forbearance. 
forbearance. Let me just add this as well. I may go past that 15-minute line. Amen. Y'all will be okay, okay? Movies last three hours. Football games last three hours. I can preach for a little longer this morning, all right? As the pastor, I get a lot of, I learn about a lot of people's character flaws. I observe a lot of people's character flaws. If you attend this church regularly, and I've gotten a chance to get to know you, I probably know where you need to grow in the Lord. I'm the shepherd. I'm supposed to know that. Do you want me going around telling everyone else about your character flaws? If it's not okay for the pastor to do it, it's not okay for the church members to do it. Amen? Forbearance. Forbearance. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 says this, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Verse 13, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let me give you three principles here about forbearance. Letter A, notice, the principle of preference. The principle of preference. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2 for me. Philippians chapter 2, and let's look at the first five verses. You have someone who you just can't get along with. You have someone where there's friction and there's a struggle. You say, Pastor, what are some principles I can live my life by to help me get along with a brother or sister in Christ where there's just rub and there's struggle and there's uh, uh, there's angst and there's hard feelings? Let me give you three principles here. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 2. It says in verse 1, If there be therefore any consolation or encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels in mercy, fulfill ye, Paul says, my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Look at verse 3, let nothing be done through, let nothing, let nothing, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is not to esteem yourself, not to defend yourself, not to worry about yourself. Uh, the, the mind of Christ is to prefer others. And deference goes a long way in the Christian life. Letter B, another principle of forbearance is the principle of peace. Romans twelve eighteen says, If it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably with all men. No matter what it takes, you make every effort to make peace. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they shall be called the children of God. Amen? We're to strive to be peacemakers. And then letter C, the third principle, principle of prayer. Principle of prayer. Uh, back over to Luke 22 where we began this morning, Luke 22, and we're going to uh, hop in there and uh, look at this uh, verse and then finish out the message. Uh, Luke 22, verse 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You know what? Jesus already knew. This is going to set up the rest of the message, so don't miss this. Jesus already knew that Peter was going to betray him. Now, I know that Jesus was God, but the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. 
Don't you think that Jesus was tempted here to be disheartened towards someone he had just poured three and a half years of his life into? You know, if I know someone has stabbed me in the back, the last thing I want to do is pray for them. Oh, I'll pray for them all right. I'll pray God clubs them over the head. But I'm not going to pray that God blesses them. Look at verse 32. Jesus looks Peter in the eye and he says, I know you're going to betray me, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Forbearance. Someone you just can't get along with, someone who's saved has hurt you, the best thing you can do is get down on your knees and pray for them. Pray for peace. Pray that God gives you the spirit of preference. Number three, we looked at friction. We've looked at forbearance. Number three, notice forgiveness. Forgiveness. There is never room in Scripture for a Christian to harbor bitterness toward another Christian. Never! You hear me? There's zero room in Scripture for one Christian to harbor bitterness toward another Christian. You want to cross one of God's lines that gets him angry at you real quick? You want to turn up the temperature of God on your life real fast? You want to make God angry at you? I can tell you how to do it right now. Let someone do something that hurts you, and you get bitter toward them, and you refuse to let it go. I promise you, you're going to turn on the wrath of God in your life. Boy, I have studied this out. Do not cross that line with God. There have been plenty of times in my life where someone's hurt me, someone's cut me, someone's taken advantage of me, I've misunderstood them, they've misunderstood me, I've got my feelings all in a wad, I've been very hurt, and I've gone to the Lord, and here's what I've prayed. I've said, Lord, I've not forgiven that person, but I want to go through the process, be patient with me while I work through it. Why do I pray that way? Because I don't want to unleash an angry God at me because I refuse to forgive. You may not be there right now, but you need to put yourself in that process and you need to beg God every day to help you forgive those that have wronged you. One day He will. How did Christ love Peter, His brother, when Peter had betrayed Him? Letter A, notice. A ministry of reconciliation. Jesus is killed. He raises from the dead. He sees the disciples in that upper room. He sees them a second time with Thomas present. Peter is still so discouraged over what's happened that Peter quits. He goes back to doing what it was he did before he was called to ministry. The Lord called him to be a disciple while he was a fisherman. And here Peter is back fishing. He quits to go fishing and he takes several of the disciples with him. Peter is discouraged because Peter failed the Lord. Peter is discouraged because Peter feels unworthy. Peter needs to be reconciled. Look at verse 3 of John 21. Quickly turn over to John 21. You can leave Luke 22. We're going to finish the sermon in John 21. We're going to look at a few different passages here. John chapter 21. Look at verse number 3. Peter and Jesus are not on the best terms. And uh, there's an elephant in the room. There's uh, something hanging in the air, if you will. And things just aren't right between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus has seen Peter and Peter has seen Jesus, but uh, it's just not yet been addressed. It's not yet been dealt with. Look at verse 3. Simon Peter saith unto them, to the disciples, I go a fishing. In other words, he was saying, I quit. I quit. I'm not worthy. I quit. 
I blew it. I stabbed the master in the back. I'm not qualified to do this. I quit. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. You see, when we quit and we're doing things without God's help, we usually don't have very good results. Verse 4, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, This is a hint at who he was, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. At this action, at this miracle, Peter, or rather John, realizes that this is Jesus standing on the shore speaking to them. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat upon him, for he was naked and did cast himself in the sea. In his backsliding, he'd even gone to... He'd thrown his modesty out the window. That's usually one of the first things that go when someone backslides. Their dress begins to slide. But he, he, throw, he puts a coat on, he throws himself in the sea, and he swims to shore. And you know what he goes to shore to do? He goes to shore to reconcile with Jesus. You know, Jesus hadn't done anything wrong, but Jesus had to be willing to be there with a humble heart to reconcile with Peter. And Peter had to be willing to come with a humble heart to reconcile with Jesus. But it wasn't just enough to reconcile, let her be notice. Notice a mindset of restoration. Jesus has a fish fry going on there on the shore. And after they have their breakfast, their fish fry, Jesus addresses Peter directly. Look at verse 15. So when they had died, dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith them again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Jesus is looking past his words and into his soul. Peter saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? Jesus is restoring Peter. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hand. Speaking of his crucifixion his impending crucifixion, how he would die. And another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest go. This spake he signifying by what death he, Peter, should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said unto Peter, he saith unto him, Peter, follow me. Peter, I've taken three and a half years to train you. I've taken three and a half years to prepare you for ministry. You're heartbroken. You're, you're, you're despondent. You want to quit. You want to give up. I'm here to reconcile with you. And I'm here to tell you, Peter, get back in the game. Peter, be restored. You know what Peter did? He got back in the game. Let her see, notice, a mission of revival. Oh, Peter had hurt Jesus. But Jesus loved his brother even though he had been betrayed. Acts chapter 2, we won't take the time to read it. 
But can I tell you what happened in Acts chapter 2? Can you look up here? I'm going to finish the message with this. Peter, now reconciled and restored to his work, he gets up. Jesus has ascended to heaven. He gets up on Solomon's porch. This is an outdoor porch connected to the temple there. And a great crowd gathers. And Peter, along with the other disciples, but Peter leading the way, preaches a message about the power of salvation through Jesus Christ. Watch this. Acts 2.41 says 3,000 people believed in Jesus that day. Revival came. Because there was offense. There was forgiveness. There was reconciliation. And then there was revival. Why don't Baptist Church look at me? Listen to me. Listen to me. The church is the answer for this broken world. We cannot reach the greater Stratford area if we're fighting with each other. You listening to me? We cannot reach the greater Stratford area if we're gossiping about each other. We cannot reach the greater Stratford area if there's infighting with each other. We are not the enemy of each other. The devil is the enemy. We must stand up together in one accord and we must fight the devil tooth and nail. Someone comes to you with gossip or salacious news, you need to shut it off immediately. You tell them, that's your brother or sister in Christ. You need to get on your knees and pray. Don't come to me with that garbage. You go to the Lord and you pray. Someone in this church has done something that's hurt you. It may be that it's a cat and dog type relationship. You reconcile and keep your space. But let's not let the devil work in this church to limit our message to a world that needs us right now. Amen? Amen. If you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can't be a brethren or part of the brethren until you've believed in Jesus. The Bible says at that moment you become a child of God when you believe on His name. John 1.12. I would encourage you to do that today. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would. Boy, I have had a chance to look at Pastor Morales' notes for this evening. He'll take his message in a little bit different direction, but the theme is very similar to my message today. The Lord works in the church. Is He working through you? Is He working through you? Is the Lord working through you at White Oak Baptist Church or is Satan working through you at White Oak Baptist Church? Which one is it? Are you loving the brethren or are you part of why the brethren don't feel so loved? How many days say, Pastor Lejeune, I need to do my part to love the brethren the way that Jesus loved his brothers? Pastor, would you please pray for me that I'll do a better job of this? Here's my hand. Here's my hand. Boy, my hand's up. How about yours? Boy, let's, let's do our part. Listen, this world is hard. We need to encourage each other and love each other. Lord, would you take this heartfelt 
emotional sermon that I just preached, and would you use it in this church to unify us? Satan works every day with his wiles to divide and hurt, tear down. Lord, may we not be the susceptible one. Help us to do our part. Lord, someone here today, they don't have a gripe or a grumble with a brother. They're just too selfish to really love. They're too busy to love. They're uh, too distracted to love, whatever it would be. Help them to get in the game and do their part. And then, Lord, for that person here today that has not yet put their faith and trust in you for salvation. Their faith may be in a religion. It may be in their good works. It may be, uh, Lord, in some other system. Or maybe it is in nothing at all. May they turn from their unbelief and put their whole heart faith in you and you alone. Or may they not leave today until that's been done. Or do a great work here this morning during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet with our head bowed and eyes closed. Hey, listen, if the Lord worked on your heart this morning about anything, would you come right now and pray? Pray for unity in our church. Pray for revival in our church. Pray for someone who's hurting.